Heyo, and welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, Julia Dubois. You're going to see how one tale turns to many on the tail end. Happy New Year, everyone. I am thrilled that I made it through this year, aren't you? I am also really looking forward to 2020. I've got some great goals that I'm working on this year, one of which is this podcast. And I've also got a goal to take up playing the piano again, which is going to be a challenging one for me, I think. I've been putting it off for years and years, and I did take piano lessons when I was much younger. But like so many ridiculous kids, I stopped practicing and going to lessons, which I now regret. So my goal is to learn to play 12 songs this year with both hands. I'm going to need you guys to check in with me though and make sure I'm doing it. I would love to hear what goals you all have planned as well. Anyway, I am so happy you are here for the first ever episode of The Tale End. And before we begin with our first episode of stories... I have to give a shout out to a few people who've made this process so much easier. Last year, I actually crowdsourced some ideas from friends on Facebook, and honestly, without that, I don't think that I would have actually made this happen. So I wanted to thank Diane Gordon for her idea for the title of the show. She is such a brilliant woman, a former educator, um, a dear friend's mother, and I know that I never would have thought of that clever title on my own. So thank you, Diane. You are a gem. The brilliant thumbnail artwork was done by a good friend of mine, Mark Gordon. It's actually Dan's son. He is really amazing at what he does and made exactly what I wanted without me knowing what I wanted. So thank you, Mark. Another friend of mine, Bryson Alley, started a podcast called The Elephant Dialogues last year and gave me all sorts of advice and pointers, and all of it was extremely helpful. So thank you to Bryson. You can actually find his podcast on iTunes as well. And I would suggest listening to that when you have time. It is great. I am so excited for the content that I get to share with you all. It has been so fun to put a little snippet of something out into the universe and get an amazing story back. All of these stories leave me wanting to know the rest of the story, which is an amazing thing, I think. The prompt for this episode was a fun one for me to write and actually came from a previous writing that I did. The name of this episode is A Walk in the Woods. And this is the prompt. He walked along the muddied path, still dotted with water puddles from rainfall the night before. Inhaling, he relished the smell of the trees, the rain, the earthy smell coming up from the ground. His walks were becoming longer and longer as he basked in these last days of summer. The weather was turning and would soon give way to a chill. Rounding a curve in the path, he heard a rustle. It seemed to come from the bushes ahead, but he couldn't pinpoint where exactly. Slowing his walk, he glanced behind him. Hopefully that gets you a little bit excited for the stories that are coming up. Our first tail end story is by a good friend of mine, Ryan Gordon. And here it goes. He walked along the muddied path, still dotted with water puddles from rainfall the night before. Inhaling, he relished the smell of the trees, the rain, the earthy smell coming up from the ground. His walks were becoming longer and longer as he basked in these last days of summer. The weather was turning and would soon give way to a chill. Rounding a curve in the path, he heard a rustle. It seemed to come from the bushes ahead, but he couldn't pinpoint where exactly. 
Slowing his walk, he glanced behind him. The path was empty. As he looked for it again, he almost ran right into Sarah and just about jumped out of his skin. Holy sweetheart, what are you doing? You scared the heck out of me, he laughed, grabbing for her to catch her in a half-tackle, half-embrace. Sarah jumped back playfully out of his reach, her smile full of love and a bit mischievous. Sorry, love, I needed to talk to you. You're home early. Is Christian okay? Yes, I just checked in at home. He's fine. I just needed to see you. Since they'd had Christian a few months back, both he and Sarah needed a bit of time for themselves. She would head to therapy, and he would take his walks while Emily, his mother-in-law, watched the baby. It couldn't wait. I'll be home in, like, ten minutes. No, sorry. This is really important. The sun dappled through the trees and splashed across her hair, giving her an almost ethereal glow. She was still smiling, but he could tell she was serious. His smile fell just a little as his curiosity peaked. Is everything okay? What's going on? Danny, I need you to know something. His phone rang in his pocket, startling him again. <sighs> Sorry, he said, reaching to reject the call. What do you need me to know? What's this all about? I know this doesn't make much sense. It will in just a few minutes, but you need to know right here, right now, that you're going to be okay. What was she saying? Was this some sort of exercise her therapist assigned her? Something was wrong. He could see tears in her eyes. His phone started ringing again, and this time he just ignored it. Sarah, what's the matter? You're not making any sense. Please tell me what's going on. Sarah looked up into his eyes and gently touched his face. I know these past few months have been hard on you. The next few years are going to be even harder. There will be days where you just want to be done with it all. It's okay to let yourself just feel sometimes, but please, whatever you do, don't give up. It's okay to be sad, but it's also okay to let yourself be happy again. Really, I promise it's okay. Move forward. You'll be fine. She pulled him in for a big hug and he could smell her hair, fresh, just like the rain. None of this made any sense to him. Being a new dad was draining and there were definitely days where he felt a lot of frustration, but he thought he'd been handling it okay. He was a little worried that Sarah might be having some sort of breakdown and it scared him. But he just held her for a minute, his mind trying to find the right words. He pulled away, looking into his wife's eyes. Sweetheart, you're scaring me. Please talk me through what's going on. Help me understand. She smiled warmly. I love you, Danny, so much. Please don't forget that. Sarah kissed him and then gestured to his phone. You're going to want to take this. Just then his phone started ringing again. Frustrated, he pulled it out of his pocket and checked the caller ID. It was his mother-in-law. He turned his back to Sarah and answered. Hi, Emily. Sorry, I'm almost home. What's up? Is Christian all right? Danny. It's Sarah. Emily was sobbing. What? What's wrong? She's gone. She's gone, Danny. There was a car accident on her way home. What? No, she's here. She's with me. Danny turned around. Sarah was gone. All of a sudden, it clicked. The next few years are going to be hard. It's okay to feel sad. Move forward. You'll be fine. Danny dropped the phone, his hands shaking. Please, no. He took off running down the path, splashing through puddles, the tears starting to fall as he took off toward the house. Did any of you guess that that was how it was going to end? <laughs> I certainly did not the first time I read it, and I loved it. 
Thank you, Ryan, for writing that for all of us. I love you, and I'm grateful for your participation. You can actually head over to healthyhumansproject.com to see more of Ryan's nonfiction writing and get to know her a little better. Please keep writing, Ryan. You have got great content. All right. Our second tale end story is by Cody Cutler, and it is titled The End of Henry Lewis. He walked along the muddied path, still dotted with water puddles from rainfall the night before. Inhaling, he relished in the smell of the trees, the rain, the earthy smell coming up from the ground. His daily walks were becoming longer and longer as he basked in these last days of summer. The weather was turning and would soon give way to a chill. Rounding a curve in the path, he heard a rustle. It seemed to come from the bushes ahead, but he couldn't pinpoint where exactly. Slowing his walk, he glanced behind him nothing. Perhaps it had been his imagination this time. After all, it had been some time since he'd last, and then he saw him. Two tiny jet-black eyes peering at him from the undergrowth, green-tinged skin surrounding them. The little one had returned. Hello, Henry said cautiously. Haven't seen you in a while. As usual, the creature gave a slight chirp in response. I've brought something for you today. Are you hungry? Henry asked. The creature's long-pointed ears perked up at this, and it chirped loudly. Excellent, Henry said, kneeling down and opening his pack. The woods bordering Henry's family farm were thick and dense. It was Henry's grandfather, Obadiah Hanks, that had first tamed this section of the woods and carved out a meager spot of land for his family. That meager spot grew into a lovely home with much acreage, but not without a price. For you see, Obadiah was also the first to encounter the little ones. The little ones were said to live in the woods. They were a mischievous and shy people prone to jealousy, guarding their woodland home. Obadiah, being a practical man, did not believe such tales initially, and saw no good reason that his family should not inherit that land. Despite warnings from local townsfolk, many of whom had had their own experiences with the little ones, Obadiah began taming the land and building a home on it. He moved his family there the following spring. The displeasure of the little ones started small, a missing tool here, a broken wagon wheel there, but soon escalated in the face of Obadiah's stubbornness. Cattle went missing and food began to disappear. Some mornings his wife would find little boot prints and spilled flour leading out of the house, their pantry having been pilfered during the night. Obadiah, not to be undone, began setting up traps and hindrances against this unseen foe, radishes being a particularly effective deterrent, he discovered. This continued for many months, slowly but surely escalating until one evening, in the middle of the night, Obadiah and his wife awoke to the smell of smoke. They hurried to the window and discovered their newly built barn was ablaze. Obadiah ran downstairs and out the door with his shotgun, only to see the silhouettes of several tiny figures fleeing into the night, headed for the train line. Obadiah took aim and fired off several shots, but to no avail. They were gone. After several choice words... Hurled toward the forest, Obadiah Hanks turned to his burning barn, fell on his knees, and swore in his wrath that nothing would move him or his family from inheriting this land. Thus began in earnest the war between the Hanks family and the little ones. It was into such a state of war that Henry was born. Obadiah's oldest daughter, Henrietta, married a local farmer by the name of Alvin Lewis, and together they had Henry, who they raised on the farm. For Henry, the little ones became a normal part of everyday life, having such exposure to them. His earliest memory of the little ones was on a bitter cold January morning when he was six years old. 
Henry had wandered outside to call the family dog Lucy into the house, but Lucy was nowhere to be found. Instead, he found tiny boot prints in the snow that led around the house to drag marks heading east. Several yards ahead was Lucy, yelping and pleading to be rescued, having been tied up with rope and drugged by tiny figures toward the wood. "'Hey!' Henry yelled. "'You leave my dog alone!' There was a flurry of snow around them, and the figures seemingly disappeared. Henry ran to Lucy and tried to untie her, but soon realized that there was something moving under the snow around him. Lucy growled, but little lumps under the snow moved closer, surrounding them. Suddenly, there was a loud bang from behind him, and the little ones scattered and fled toward the trees, kicking up snow in their wake. Henry turned around and saw his grandfather there, shotgun in hand, pointed at the sky. Henry ran to him, and after embracing his grandson and untying the dog, Obadiah looked up and noticed something unsettling. Typically, upon being foiled, the little ones would disappear again into the trees. This time, however, they stayed at the edge of the wood, their glistening black eyes focused on Henry. His grandfather, taking this in carefully, took Henry back inside and spoke with him. "'The little ones don't like your granddad. Did you know that, Henry?' "'Yes, Grandpa,' Henry replied. "'And they do anything to hurt him, including hurting our family,' he said. "'They'd hurt me?' Henry asked, frightened. "'Not if you have this,' Obadiah said, holding up a small radish. "'Here, take it. Do you know what this is?' he asked. "'It's a radish,' Henry replied. "'I don't like radishes.' "'Neither do the little ones,' Obadiah said. "'You just make sure to always keep a fresh radish in your pocket, "'and they'll leave you alone. "'Will you do that for your old granddad?' "'Sure,' Henry replied, giving him a hug. "'During the next year, Obadiah made sure to keep a keen eye on Henry. "'For fear that another attempt would be made to separate him from the family,' The attempts came sure enough and only served to enrage Obadiah further. The straw that broke the camel's back came on the morning of Henry's seventh birthday. In the dark hours of the early morning, the scuffle of tiny feet and wicked little laughs could be heard creeping down the upstairs hallway, which was illuminated by the light of their tiny torches. Up to this point, no little one had ever crossed the threshold of the Hanks family home, but they were in now and were armed with arsonistic intent. They had just about made it to Henry's room, when a roar such as never been heard before echoed down the hall. Obadiah charged out of his bedroom, shotgun in hand. The little ones dropped their torches and scattered. Obadiah stamped out the fire and ran down the stairs, determined to catch them, but they were gone, the front door hanging ajar. Now, with the whole house awake, Obadiah told his family to stay where they were and to make sure that Henry was never alone, nor without a large pile of radishes close by. Obadiah then put on some pants, loaded some extra shotgun shells into his pack, kissed his wife goodbye, and walked out into the night toward the trees, gun over his shoulder. When he finally returned, several days had passed, and his family was worried sick. He didn't stop to greet them, but went straight for the shed and shut himself in tight. He emerged a short while later and declared that he had found the little one's hiding place deep in the woods. In an attempt at retribution, he'd burst in, caused a ruckus, and captured one of them and fled. And not just any one of them, in fact, but the crown prince of the little ones himself. He'd stuffed the prince in a bag, filled it with radishes, and upon returning home had stuffed that bag in a much larger bag of radishes in the shed, and had locked it up tight. A day or so had passed, with a pint-sized prisoner of war, when a tiny knock came at the door. Obadiah asked his family to wait upstairs, and he opened it, looked down, and then stepped out into the yard, gesturing to a tiny visitor, after you. After thirty minutes, Obadiah returned. "'We've come to an arrangement,' Obadiah said. "'We won't be having any more problems with the little ones. 
in exchange for returning their prince and never entering their hiding place again. And as long as we do not take any more land, they will agree to let us have this land in peace. And so, an uneasy peace commenced but endured. Fifteen years later, Obadiah passed to his eternal reward, a content man never having seen or heard another little one for the remainder of his days. Henry, now a man, had mostly forgotten the events of his boyhood until his frequent walks in the wood had jogged his memory by introducing him to a new friend. It's homemade red with strawberry jam, my mother's own recipe, Henry said, presenting a small piece of bread to the little one. The creature perked up again, wiggling its small red cap between its long green ears and quickly grabbing the tiny offering. It chirped merrily as it ate. Well, good, Henry said. A moment passed as he chewed thoughtfully on the bread and then posed a question to the creature. I have a question, little one, Henry said. The little one turned its black eyes up at him. Are there more of you? No one has seen a little one in more than 15 years. Where have you all gone? The little one considered this for a moment and then, setting down his bread, beckoned with its tiny head that Henry should follow him. Henry packed up his things and then followed his friend for some time. They woke deeper and deeper into the woods, the path narrowing and then eventually disappearing. The sun was setting and the day was turning cold by the time they had arrived at their destination, a large cave with a stone rolled in front of it. The little one easily rolled the enormous stone away and then beckoned him to follow. Is this where you live? Henry asked, about to step into the cave. The little one chirped in protest and held up a small hand, stopping him. What? Henry asked. Then he remembered the radish in his pocket. Oh, you don't like these, do you? He asked, pulling it out. I remember the stories. Henry stopped for a second and considered the radish. He'd carried a radish in his pocket for almost as long as he could remember, something his grandfather had made him promise long ago. It seemed important, but he couldn't remember why. He hesitated abandoning it, but then again, when was he ever going to be able to see the little one's hiding place again? So he tossed the radish aside and stepped into the cave, letting his eyes adjust. The little one looked up at him and then disappeared into the dark, his mission accomplished. Where are you going? Henry asked, confused. It was then that Henry became aware that he was being watched. He looked behind him then spun around, realizing that he was absolutely surrounded by little ones, the light from the cave entrance shimmering off their black eyes and reflecting off their green skin. They began chirping. Uh, hello, um, my name is Henry Lewis, Henry stammered, not knowing what to say. I'm the grandson of Obadiah Hanks. I believe you knew him? The chirping stopped immediately. There was silence as they stared at him. Well, it's nice to meet you all. I've always wanted to, but I think I'll be going now. I... He cut off as he noticed the light in the cave fading, the rock at the door slowly sliding back into place. It closed with a deafening finality. Then, all Henry was aware of was the angry chirping of the little ones and the cold feel of tiny hands upon him. The End of Henry Lewis that story gave me some serious creature vibes. I totally feel creeped out now. <laughs> and I'm definitely not going into the woods alone anytime soon. <laughs> if you've never heard anything that has been written by Cody, 
now you have, (laughs) and hopefully you get to again as well. He is a genius. We worked on a 10 minute play festival together a few years ago, and his writing was beyond brilliant. So thank you for sharing your talents with us, Cody. Thank you for tuning in today. Tail enders be on the lookout for episode number two, which will be available Friday. If you have any content that you would like to have considered or comments regarding the stories we read today, you can shoot me an email at the tail end podcast at gmail.com. And if you would like to contribute a tail end of your own, please visit this podcast's landing page for prompts at the tail That's all for today, folks. Happy new year and adios. Mm-hmm.